Hey, this is Pastor Ellie, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to say thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date on everything that's happening at Bold Church, want to live stream a service, or find out when our next gathering is, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Can we give it up for Jesus real quick? Sorry, if I have not explained who I met, my name is Ali, my beautiful wife and I, we started Bold Church six years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place, listen, where not only Christians could come grow in their faith, but unchurched people could come explore their faith. So if you don't have a church and you're looking for one, let me tell you, you found the right place. This room is filled with faith, with hope, with some of the most awesome, good-looking people you've ever met in your entire life. Bold Church, can we welcome all of our guests? Come on. And you're probably wondering, why in the world... Does Pastor Ali have a cheerleading team? Let me explain. One sentence. Our tribe, we are loud church. We don't just get excited for the Niners who are going to win tomorrow against Baltimore. We don't get just excited for the Warriors. We're excited for Jesus. And we get loud for Jesus and his word. If you hear something good, somebody shout amen. amen. Help me preach this sermon. I got to show of hands. How many of you this morning uh, love opening Christmas presents? Okay, three of you, the rest of you are Scrooge McDuck. Awesome. You're going to love today's message. Heart of stone will be taken out. God will give you a heart of flesh. But uh, I have this, uh, I'm not sure if you ever thought about this, but uh, for, for many of you in this room who call Bull Church your home, my wife and I are your pastors. Everyone should have a pastor. But the question is, if we pastor you, who pastors us? Did you know that every pastor has a pastor? And the reason why I mentioned that is a couple weeks ago, I reached out to a mentor, and he was telling me about the, his pastor in his life who was coaching him, helping him in his life, and helping him in his marriage and in leadership. And he was telling them that every time his mentor speaks, he's like, oh, I want that in my life. But he has this rule. He's like, I love you, but I ain't doing that. And this rule, that you're, I'm going to tell you in a moment, you're going to be very angry. This pastor, who has four kids, by the way, doesn't buy any of his kids Christmas presents. Wow. All the kids watching online, mommy, we need a new church. Let me just tell you, at this church, our official position is we are pro-presence, okay? But my mentor asked his pastor, like, why don't you buy gifts for your kids? He's like, two reasons. Number one, that's Jesus' birthday. It ain't, it ain't our kids' birthday. And on, on their birthday, we flood them with gifts. So many gifts, they got to take multiple trips from the living room back to the bedroom. And number two, we want them to know that the greatest gift that they could ever receive doesn't come from us, and it's not under the Christmas tree. It's the gift that God wants to give. Some of you who are new to church, you didn't know this, but even before you believed, God has a gift for you. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, made famous by Tim Tebow. God bless him, the swamp king. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved, somebody shout, so loved. So the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, someone say Whoever. Whoever. doesn't matter if you're a Raiders fan or a Cowboys fan. There's grace for you, too. We may not like you, but we love you because Jesus tells us to. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And there are so many of you in this room, you, you don't realize you have this gift already in your home. And God wants to give it to you. And when you receive this gift, it changes you. I remember my, my daughters who are five and seven. I'm a girl dad. I'm trying to inspire them with the generosity of God. Our God is a generous God. Amen? Yeah. 
And every Christmas, we will bake cookies, and we will go to the neighbors and say, Merry Christmas, and we'll give them cookies. And they always open the door like, oh, my gosh, how do you say no to a three-year-old, right? And they look at each other like, oh, my gosh, we didn't, we didn't bake anything. And then you say, thank you, and they close the door. Within two days, they come back with a loaf of bread. Because when you receive something, it inspires something to give back. I want to tell you that it's hard to be loving. It's hard to be generous until you meet that loving God. Until you receive his generosity. He wants to change you. He wants to transform you. And some of you in this room are like, Pastor Ali, it's, an, it's hard to be generous because I'm broke. I get that. There's a, a little gentleman on the screen. You'll see him in a moment. He's, he's also broke. His parents left my home. He only had $20. And thankfully, he bought $19. And I, have, I have the exact amount. $19 and 83 cents worth of groceries. He walked home with 17 pennies. Come on now. And an and a, and a, and a economist tried to figure out if we went shopping last year and we bought the exact same thing Kevin McAllister bought. How much do you think that would be? Last year, that total would be $44.40. That same economist did the math this year. Guess what it was this year? $72.80. I get why you're not generous. Inflation has made us all broke. Come on. For many of us in this room, the reason we have Christmas is Jesus and American Express, Visa, and MasterCard. We wouldn't have Christmas if it wasn't for them. But for many of you, it's not just that you're broke. Listen, it's that you're broken. It's hard to be generous when you don't have hope. It's hard to be generous when you don't have peace. It's hard to be generous when you don't have joy. And you may have walked in one way, but we're praying and believing you're going to walk out another. And there's a gift that God has for you. But if you have a, this candle, I need you to pull it out. I'm going to use this candle throughout this sermon to preach one simple truth. You don't need to light it yet. Please don't set anything on fire. If you have an electric one, leave it off. But I need you to hold up this candle if you got it. And just say after me, I don't have much, but this I have. The title of my sermon is This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to pray real quick and let's continue. Jesus, thank you so much. That when we meet you, we're different. We're changed and transformed forever, God. No matter what we walked in with, God. Maybe, maybe we have financial problems. Maybe we have hope problems, God. No matter what it is, God, would you change us and transform us? God, open up our eyes to the gift that you have for us. And if you believe that, everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. If, I want to prove to you and show you that you and I are this candle. And then some people ask, well, if we're this candle, who is Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. Someone say the Word. word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light. Someone say the light. The light, the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. If you and I are this candle, listen, Jesus is the light. I wrote point number one like this. Jesus is the light of my life. Jesus is the light of my life. I'm not sure if you know this, but candles are actually an ingenious invention. Prior to candles, only rich people had, had light in their home after the sun went down. 
because you had to have an oil lamp, and oil lamps were dangerous because if an oil lamp fell over, it would spread this fire. So you all only had to be, you, not only was it for the wealthy, it was extremely dangerous to have one, but then candles changed the game. Poor folks could have Raider fans could have them. Anyone could have one. It was crazy. And as ingenious as these candles are, let me tell you, there are two things a candle is not. A candle is nothing without being lit. It has no value. It has no purpose unless it's lit. And number two, a candle was not created to make light. It was created to contain light. I'm not sure if you know this, but the scriptures don't actually tell you what to do to get to heaven. Actually, the whole point of the Bible is to tell you you can't do anything to get there. The whole point of the Ten Commandments is not a list of rules to do. It's a mirror to show you that you got pimples, you got sin, and it's supposed to create a desire in you for a Savior. Because you and I can't get to heaven. So what did God do? The light of heaven left and came down to us. God knew we couldn't get to him. So he came to us. Why? Because he's the light of our life. The problem, though, is that many of you, you try to get lit. Excuse my language. You try to light this candle with things that, that were never meant to light it. Some of you, if I get another candle, someone throw me a candle. Throw me this candle. I'll catch it. Mm. Some of you, you put your hope in people. And you think that person's your soulmate. And two people, two candles will rub next to each other. Mommy, what are they doing? I can't tell you right now. <laughs> two candles won't create a fire. It creates friction. That person will never light you up. Some of you, it's, it's not a person. It's paper. Your whole life is trying to chase this. But this is not fire. This is fuel. And your whole life is spending trying to get money. More of it. More. They did this study at Stanford, or I'm sorry, Yale University, where they asked people who made $30,000 a year, are you satisfied? They said, no, if I make 60, I'll be satisfied. Then they went to people who made 60, are you satisfied? They said, no. If I make 100, then I'll be satisfied. They went to people who made 100. I think you see the pattern. If you went to public school, let me go a little bit further. They went to people who made 100. They said, are you satisfied? No. They said, if I make 250. They went to people who made 250. No. Five, they kept going to people who had hundreds of millions of dollars. Why? Because money, paper won't satisfy you. Warren Buffett, he's at the end of his life. He spent his whole life acquiring trillions. He says, money means nothing to me. I want to use the last years of my life with the people that matter the most. He's wasted his whole life chasing money. It's so funny to me. The wealthy are chasing people and the poor are chasing money. And no one's happy. Because you're a candle. And you were created to be lit. For some of you, it's, it's a cell phone. It's your body. It's a car. It's a home. It's a device. If I could have had a cell phone here, I'd, I'd light it. But what happens when the battery goes out? You go out. But what's supposed to happen is that the light of heaven, it's a modern lighter. It's electric. So you can't blow it out. But the light of heaven comes down. And when the presence of God comes down, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. His joy becomes our joy. His peace becomes our peace. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. And he's the one that can light you up. Let me say it another way. There ain't no high like the most high. 
Because some of you try to get high on different things. It will never satisfy you. This is why people say, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and realize it doesn't make you happy. I wonder. I wonder how many of you in this room realize you, you're trying to live life. You're trying to get lit in all the wrong places. God wants to light you up. That's why Jesus says this in Matthew chapter, John chapter 7. Let anyone who thirsts, someone say thirst, come to me and drink. Notice Jesus doesn't condemn you for your thirst. He says he, he knows you're hungry. He, he knows you're thirsty. He knows you want to live life to the fullest. Since you're just drinking toilet water, let me give you living water. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within him. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who can light you up. Point number one, Jesus is the light of my life. Point number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus is light. Someone say light. light. In the darkness. Now, this may sound like the first one, but it's different. The first one is about who he is to me. The second point is who he is to my circumstance. Anyone willing to admit they sleep with a nightlight on? I was hoping one of you, it's okay. Let me, let me give you another example. Anyone ever, when they go to the, get water in the middle of the night, their wife tells, go get me water. Like, Ugh. And then you're in the kitchen. Maybe I'm the only one who does this. And it's the last light you got to turn off. And you're like, okay, okay. And you know, the moment it goes off, I got to run to bed. And I'm 40. What am I doing? <laughs> Doctors will tell us that all of us, no matter your age, size, strength, all of us are born with one innate fear. The fear of the dark. Anyone here afraid of spiders? Anyone afraid of snakes? Anyone afraid of cats? Those are way demonic, by the way. Just letting you know. Google it. Cats will eat your face within 24 hours of you dying. There was this man, though. He had a different fear. And a lot of the men in this room will understand this fear. He took his whole family to Israel. His wife, his kids, his in-laws. And while they were there on this 10-day trip, his mother-in-law died. He goes to the embassy and says, sir, you're not a citizen. You can bury your mother-in-law here in the Holy Land for $150. Or you can ship her back to America for $10,000. Without hesitating, he goes, ship her back. The guy goes, whoa, 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 why? It's so cheap. This is good land. The man goes, listen, 2,000 years ago, someone died. He came back. I'm not taking any chance with a mother-in-law. <laughs> Some of us in this room, we have a different fear, okay? But everyone has some level of fear. But can I give you hope? There's one thing in the universe that fear fears, it's the light. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, someone say, through Him. That's Jesus, by the way. All things were made. Jesus is not a prophet. He's not a good man. He's the one that made the universe. And he has a power he wants to show you that no one else has. You got to compare John 1 to Genesis 1. Genesis 1 says this, in the beginning, God. Someone say God. God. It's the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a plural word for God. 
Because there's many in one. It's a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness. Someone say darkness. Was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. When you and I are in the dark, afraid of what's around the corner. You know what scientists will tell us? That it's, it's the unknown that scares us. It's what we don't see. That's why I would tell them you go to the doctor. It's not the doctor you're afraid of. It's the doctor's report. That's why some of you have been in a lot of broken relationships. When you finally get that girl's number, you wonder, is she going to break up with me the way the last one did? And some of you, you want a baby. And every time you're intimate with your spouse, is this the time we're going to have a child? Or maybe you've lost one. And you get pregnant and you wonder, are we going to keep the baby? It's the unknown that scares us. It's the unknown that puts fear in us. And you're born with it. But Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says this. And God said, let there be light. Someone say light. light. And there was light. There is something that will push the darkness out of your life. If I can prophetically speak for a moment, many of us in this room, if we're honest, we got darkness. We got addictions. We got brokenness. We, we have websites we go to we shouldn't do. We have things we smoke we, we don't. We have envy. We have jealousy. We have en- and you have tried your whole life to push those things away. You don't have the strength. One thing in the universe does, though, the light expels the darkness. Let me, let me prophetically declare that. You don't clean up and remove the darkness from your life and then come to church. You come to church and the light of heaven pushes the darkness away from you. I love that the Bible does not say, if you believe in me, I remove the darkness. He says, Jesus is a light in it. He's a light in it. The problem is, is that God is in your life. For many of you in this room, you just don't see him. I remember when I first came to Christ, a lot of my coworkers who were in the tech industry said, only weak people accept Christ. Only those who are broken, who are needy, they're the only ones who need Jesus. And I had nothing to say to him. And now I realize it's not the weak who need Jesus. It's not the weak who accept him. It's those who see. And when you got all the money in the tech, you don't, he's there, you just don't see your need for him. Let me illustrate this point for you. Forget all the house lights on for a moment. I want to prove something to you. This light, you can't see it that well. It's it's no different than any other light in this room. It's as if God is in your life. You just don't see him. You don't need him, by the way. We got money. You got a job. You often need him, though, when you're in darkness. Forget all the house lights off. Every light. The light shines brightest in the darkness. See, you don't need a resurrection until your marriage dies. You don't need God to be your healer until your body gets sick. You don't need God to be the chain breaker until you're broken in addiction. You don't need God to be your provider until you lose your job. You only need him when you're in the dark. And that's when you see him. He's been there the whole time. It's not that the weak see Jesus. It's those who are in the dark who see him. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to remove the darkness. He says, I'm going to be a light in it. If I can turn the lights back on. I remember 
10 years ago, I went to Turkey on a mission trip. And there was this very, very wealthy mayor from Iran who was a refugee now in Turkey. Most refugees, if you don't know this, and they're extremely poor. They usually live three or four families in a one or two bedroom home. Multiple families are sleeping on one bed or in a living room. This man had a four bedroom house to himself. Seven years old. Extremely rare. Why would this wealthy man be in this country he doesn't need to be? We were there trying to share Jesus with people. And by the providence of God, we were leaving town and our car broke, so we had to go back. And we had dinner one last time with this man. I could just sense the Spirit of God saying, talk to him about me. So I told my team, hey, guys, leave the room. I think this guy wants to have a conversation. Him and I start talking. And would you believe the first question he asked me was, was totally off what I thought it would be. He says, what does your God say about divorce? So what? Why are you asking this question? See, three years prior, his wife had left him. He wasn't a great husband, but he wanted to know if he's not a great follower of Jesus, will God leave him? He was in darkness. And began to tell him that, man, relationship with God is like a marriage. Even when you're unfaithful, he's faithful. That no matter what you do, he will never leave you or forsake you. And without any argument, without a long debate, he said, I'm ready to accept Jesus. Because he didn't want someone to remove the darkness. Listen, he wanted someone in the darkness. Jesus is the light of my life. And he's the light in my darkness. Point number three, if you're taking notes. Jesus' light went out so that mine could go on. Now, a lot of illustrations I use, sometimes they break down. This one's awesome. You ready? There are two types of candles. They're the kind that your wife buys, and you're not allowed to light them. <laughs> They're like $50. They're for guests because you're not that important. <laughs> they smell good. But you never have any value from them because they don't get lit. And one day when you're gone, someone's going to throw them away. Candle, though, when you light it, it feels like a waste because it's gone. Remember, my daughter asked me, Dad, where does the candle go when you burn it? Does it disappear? I go, no, it evaporates. It goes up. Listen, you can't go up unless you're lit. You can do all the things, feed every homeless person, come to every church, read every Bible, go to any holy land, and until you're lit, you will never evaporate and go up. And the good news of Christianity is that you can do nothing to be lit. One who was lit went out so that you and I could be lit. Let me show you this verse. Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. This is right after Adam and Eve sinned. Yes, we believe that those were real people. So God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you'll eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And one day what God is saying is there will be someone coming from the seed of the woman who will fix this problem that our light went out. And that 
see the woman. He's talking to the devil. He's going to crush your head. But his bruise is going to be healed. story of Christianity, that all of us fall short, that all of us are candles that are not lit, and there is one, there is only one candle that lived a sinless and perfect life that was lit, and he went out so we could be turned on. Let me illustrate this. Imagine for a moment in this scene, excuse me, imagine for a moment in this scene, Adam wasn't with Eve. Let's say he's playing Pokemon or Call of Duty, right? And Eve is in the garden and she eats. And God the Father comes to Adam and says, Adam, I got some bad news for you. Your bride that I made for you, she sinned and she's going to die. Now that didn't happen. But this probably did. God the Father came to Jesus and said, the bride I made for you, the bride of Christ that I gave to you, Adam, they sinned, and they're going to die. And Jesus said, I don't want them to die. The father said to the son, but the wage of sin is death. And Jesus said, I'll die so they can live. And the light of heaven came down. And then he died the death we were supposed to die. He died in our place. The whole hope of Christianity is not so we sing karaoke songs on Sunday. So that we come and do some good works. God became a man and his light went out. He paid our penalty of sin so that you and I, sinful people, could be forgiven and that our light can go on. It doesn't go on on good works. It doesn't go on on church attendance. It doesn't go on on reading your Bible. It goes on on faith. That one died for you. And his death is good for all. That's the message of Christmas. That's the hope of Christianity. If I get you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, you are the light of our life. God, you are the light in the darkness. And Jesus, you, your light went out. God, so that ours can go on. And I believe, God, this room is filled with people who have forgotten. Would you awaken them? They may feel broke. They may feel even broken on the inside. But reveal to them, God, they have the greatest gift. And it's not underneath the tree. It's living inside of them. The hope of glory. Jesus. The light of the world. There are others of you in this room. You lived your whole life unlit. You've lived your whole life apart from Jesus with every eye closed and with every head bowed. I want to extend an opportunity for you to start a relationship with the living God. His name is Jesus. And you don't need to do anything other than believe in his sacrifice on a cross for you. You don't need to go to a land. You don't need to do good works. The work of a Christian is to simply believe that God sent his son, Jesus, the light of all the world, to die for your sin and my sin. And you receive this gift by faith. With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning and you want to 
you've never prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or maybe this is the first time you've prayed this prayer in many, many years, and you're coming back to God for the first time in a long time, I just want to extend an invitation to let you know you're not saying yes to me. You're not saying yes to this church. You're saying yes to Jesus, the God who left heaven for you. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. That's you. Shoot your hand up. Shoot your hand up. I see your hand. 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 Just pray this prayer, everyone out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven for me, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the only light that went out so that I could go on. I repent. I turn from my sin and turn towards you. Give me new life. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for salvation. And everybody said, Hey, thank you again for listening to today's message. If you found today's sermon encouraging, inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that's coming. See you next time.